Starfield not making it to PS5? And E3 finally returns. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 213. And that nice late spring phlegm. Yeah. <laughs> I had it last week. I still mildly have it. Well, I was low energy last week for the, for, for it, it kind of starting on me, and now I went through it all week and I still don't feel great. Yeah. It's nice to have, you know, gone and double checked to make sure it's just my normal annual sinus infection that I must get. Um, we, and, we humans are so weak. And not COVID. <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to make sure it wasn't COVID, but thankfully it wasn't. Hope you all are doing well and not having this, uh, this weird funk. But if you're in Texas or Arkansas or anywhere around us, like maybe Louisiana, chances are pretty high. You yeah. Know, this is just what our weather is right now. So we're looking out for you. Go to the doctor, get a booty shot. It helps, amongst other things. Uh, as always, if you want to find out more about the show, where you can find us, where you can participate in things, stick around for a little bit later in the show when we pull off the community's taking everything. But for now, we're going to start this show off the right way. Saul, what games have you or not have you been playing? Or have you not been playing? I haven't really played <clears throat> much throughout the weekdays. Um of this last week uh yesterday morning i played returnal and this morning i played returnal for a little bit but not like much and that's kind of been it like um is returnal still holding your interest for the most part yeah it's it's kind of getting to the point now like where i'm having troubles getting through area three and it kind of is just like these runs take forever to get like because what i typically do is i go through the entire overgrown forest and go through every single room then I go to the second area and I do the exact same thing, and then I try. Then I make my way to the citadel, the third area, and um, that takes like an hour, an hour and a half sometimes to to thoroughly get through everything and yeah. get all the artifacts that I will need and my weapons and my um, um, health uh, up and all that stuff. And I get there and then I do it and then I die and I'm like, well, I just spent an hour and a half doing that. I'm not do it again. It's kind of like a one and done kind of thing. Yeah, that's the thing that's kind of getting me right now. Is I I did a run yesterday because I'm just now really getting back to the game. Um, I did a, a run yesterday. I beat Frike. Kept going through. Got to the Crimson Waste, uh, which was cool. Nice to have a change of pace finally. And I got most of the way through it before there's these things that I don't even really know how to describe them other than they, they kind of look like... Um, do you ever watch Legend of Korra? No. I don't really. They look like floating talisman heads. That yeah, are, and they shoot out crazy bullets. I mean, like it's to the point where I almost don't even know how you're supposed to cover. I kept feeling like maybe there was something I didn't have that I was supposed to. Uh, like one of the things I noticed is I still don't have, or as far as I felt like I had gotten, I'd cleared like 13 rooms in the Crimson Waste or something, and I still didn't have the grapple hook for what we're going to call it it's probably called something else but it's essentially a grapple hook and i spent so much time doing that that when i died i was just kind of like yeah i don't feel like doing this again immediately which is i think in such stark contrast to you know the other one i've been playing at work um the scourge bringer because it's just so quick if i die and i screw up it's like okay i can get back to the second room in 10 minutes if even that 
So it's like you're want to turn around and do it immediately. It goes so far out of the window that I think every time I do a run that actually goes somewhere and then and then drops, I don't know if I'm going to continue for that day even. Yeah, it's just it's hard because it's it's not tedious. It's just it's kind of like the same thing like I said before with um battle royale games. You know, you you get thrown into a game and you get super set up and then you make it towards the end and then if you die. You, for me, I, unless I'm playing with friends, which is kind of why I mentioned it'd be cool if um, uh, this game had co-op. But um, yeah, it's just it's kind of hard to keep on it. Um, I did last Sunday. I did start the Mass Effect trilogy, remat the Legendary Edition, uh, and I'm about five ish hours into that. But I didn't know you'd even gotten it. Yeah, I got it uh, launch today. But I, I was kind of waiting to play it because. Um, you know, uh, near. I was still playing that at that point, and I'm still going to go back and play through near. I just got to give myself a break from it. Um, I got to convince myself to collect all those weapons. But um, yeah, I played through that. But then that was like Sunday night. Waking up on Monday was like when I started really feeling like crap. Yeah, and I just kind of went home and relaxed every day this week, and I haven't really played anything else up until yesterday. And I had plans yesterday and this morning, so I didn't want to get into Mass Effect and not be able to find a place to stop, because um, I am like that with those games. So I'm just going to wait till tonight to play more of it. Yeah, I don't blame you. Speaking of Nier needing a break from it, I've ran through all of Nier Replicant, got ending E, which was awesome. Um, it definitely for long term, like long time fans of the series, uh, both Drake and Guard and Nier. A lot of crazy implications on the lore and what could be coming. Also gives me a hint of what I think could be coming in terms of a game. But either way, I really like that. Finally actually working towards the platinum that, you know, the long running joke of this show, depending on how long you've listening is I'm no near plat Brett because while I have the near time of the platinum, I never did grind out the one for the original near on PS3, despite my love of the game. And I'm so close on this because it's the same trophy list with a few additions and I'm at the final trophy, upgrade 33 weapons completely, and I'm just done. I don't care. I was sitting there thinking there's so many things I'm not playing and not doing or not watching or just anything because I am keep running this same stupid loop. I'm, I'm 22 or 23 weapons upgraded fully, so I only have like 10 left, but that 10 is just going to be the same run of crap over and over and over and so my current solution to that is I'm going to kind of whittle this one down across the months. Yeah. If I have a day where I don't really know what I want to play or want to do, I'll just slap it in and do an hour or two of grinding out the, the necessary materials and then get off and then come back and then grind out whatever materials until I start to get more weapons down. And eventually I'll have the platinum, but it's not something I'm in a rush to do anymore. I love the game, but as I've said, anytime a trophy list starts to diminish my enjoyment of the game. Yeah. Then I normally want to move away from it. Cause the long, the thing about why I don't have the original near plat is I wasn't, Oh, I had moved away from trophies at that point in PS three when I played the original one. So I, you know, it's one of those things where when I finally got back into trophy collecting, I went back to kind of try and do it, but I didn't go back to re experience the game from start to finish. Instead, I just hopped into one of my saves and I'm like, oh, I'm going to work on getting the platinum here. And 
I never had any of the like the story and the whimsicalness of the characters and what's going on, and I didn't have all of that love to carry forward the grindiness. So it was just immediately grindy, and so like twenty hours in, I was like, "What am I doing?" Yeah, and I stopped, and I had a lot more steam to carry me to where I'm only down to this last trophy this time, but. I've still reached a point where if it's going to make me dislike the game at all, which is what it was starting to do, I'm just like, nah, I'm going to back off and just get this in a more natural sense. But it's cool because now that I've put it down, I've been able to get to Returnal more, which the thing about Returnal, like I said, I'm finding it that I imagine it's going to get harder and harder as you keep playing it, that you do these long runs and then it starts to feel more and more repetitive because Suddenly, you know, if you get to, I don't know that the Citadel is the last biome, but let's say it is. Uh, by the time you get to biome three and you keep failing toward the end of it and you have to redo it, you know, yesterday I had that breakthrough of, oh, the Crimson Waste is new. So this is cool. It's a new area to explore. But eventually the Crimson Waste is just going to feel as, okay, I know this biome too well as the first biome. And then the third one will be interesting to me for a little bit. Before too long, the third one will be like, well, I know this biome, and now the game is just too repetitive for too long a length of time, and I don't know if I can bring myself to finish it. And this is going to sound crazy. I'm really interested in the story. I almost wish, and I'm not saying they should, I almost wish that they had went the route of still leaving this a roguelite for people who like that, but still having a version of this where you can more just play through the three biomes to experience the story without the die and repeat mechanic. I know that's basically impossible because, because, yeah, impossible because of the way the story is told. It's supposed to be about being trapped in this loop, but that's where I find myself. Uh, right now I'm enjoying the game. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to actually finish it depending on how things keep going. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I feel like my voice is getting a little weak. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> but here we are. We do a podcast. Um, yeah, that's about it. I really, um, I, I intend to start playing um, Resident Evil 7 or 8. I'm deciding whether I want to replay 7 before hopping into 8. Just go straight to 8. I'm excited to get into 8, though. Everybody's talking well about it. It's a short game. I like those. Definitely after playing, you know, 60 hours of Nier. So <laughs> get into what I can. Um, and I guess it's part of what makes Returnal a little, a little like, and right now because it seems like to beat Returnal... <laughs> It's probably going to take me like 30 hours of really fine-tuning the game. Yeah. And I don't really want another 30-hour game right now. I'm okay with a 10- to 12-hour game. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, but we're going to go ahead and move into the community's take before we hit the news. And the community's take, thanks to Saul, did end up happening. I fell asleep on Friday uh, at like 6.30, which is so not me. But I didn't post it. Went along yesterday. Didn't realize it. So thanks, Saul. No problem. <laughs> And thank you guys for coming in and actually uh, giving a lot of answers on such short notice. So as Saul asked last week, what game or games did you buy and immediately regret doing so? It could be for any reason at all. Any reason. Doesn't matter why you regret it. Uh, and we got a bunch of good answers. I'm going to go get one real quick that I think is funny off of Facebook because Saul can't see those anyway. Uh, Josh Shoot, one of our longtime listeners and friends, he says, easy answer and no doubt I will get grilled for this and that's okay. I bought Ghost Recon twice thinking I would play it with people and both times we would play once and that was it. Had some people convince me to buy it for Xbox and then again on PS4, both versions of the game I only put maybe 45 minutes into. Unfortunately, the first time I paid full price and the second time I think I only paid 30 but still, 100 bucks into a game that I've only seen the beginning and that was it. Yeah, that's... Whew. 
I hate to say it, but that's the, that's what makes couch co-op great. You can get your friend in and be like, hey, let's come on and play. And, of course, in the middle of a pandemic, that's not viable. But it just goes back to say, even without the pandemic, there have been times where I know every one of us has bought a game because a friend said, we're going to play this. You play it one time, and then you never play it again. And then you're kind of like, okay, I bought that game for that reason and that reason only. And it kind of stains you on the rest of the game. Uh, whereas couch co-op, if you could come over and be like, Hey, look, I've already got ghost recon. You hop on ghost recon with me on my couch. Let's play this thing out. It's just different. You yeah. Know? It's, it's different. And I feel like it's so easy for someone to tell you to buy something and then move along. But this also brings up another thing. Have you ever had a game saw where you've told someone like, Hey, buy this. I'll play it with you. Buy it. I'll play it with you. But then the person only buys it after you've played the game for like a hundred hours, even though you told them to buy it and that it was really good. Like when you had only played it for like five to 10 hours, a good example is you, you played the forest and you told me to get it. And I bought it after you had only played the forest, maybe like three hours. Something like that. Yeah. And what ensued was all of us for like a month getting together and playing constantly. like a hundred hours of it. Think of it. <clears throat> you remember Brennan, whenever he bought it, he bought it right when we were kind of at the end of everything. We had been playing at a ton. I'd already platinumed it. We were doing all that. Everybody was kind of getting out of it. Brennan played it with us once. Yeah. That's what happens. You can't, that, and I'm not saying that's what happen, happened with you, Josh, but that does happen sometimes where someone says that and then you buy in or, or the other person buys in so late that it's like, you can't be mad at me for not playing a game with you that I've already experienced everything the game has to offer and you decided to jump in so late. Um, but that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, you want to grab one off of uh, off of the Discord, Saul? Yeah, I'll do Discord. Um, Luke Nukem <clears throat> said, I don't regret buying many games. I usually buy everything on Steam unless it's a game I really don't or I really want on PlayStation. I think my biggest regret is that I got sucked into buying Call of Duty or EA games like Madden every year. I have been disappointed with Madden for years since the games are pretty bland and miss a lot of the features uh, the games had back in the PS1, PS2 era. Sadly, it is really the only franchise out there that produces a football game. So yeah, you're kind of trapped into the yearly cycle of... If you want your the player base to keep moving forward with you, and then if you want people to play with, and then of course just you know updated rosters, you're kind of forced to, into into buying them. Well, this is a weird thing too because uh, Kai Graham, one of our other patrons and listeners, he always talks about uh, a similar frustration with MLB the Show because there really isn't any other viable baseball um, series. And that's kind of where we are in general. I guess all the sports games are kind of in a monopoly in gaming. Like yeah. They're the only series that does it because it pushed the rest of them out, which is weird because growing up, I remember 2K Sports and Sega Sports and all these other different people that were making sports games. But he says the same thing. It's like there's so many features he wished were in there that were in other games, and they're just gone. And I know Andrew's like a big person of talking about when Madden became the only fo- like football franchise, he was a big fan of college because it's, there's different feature sets in college. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, see, yeah, he's, he's talking about like recruiting and building teams. So it's just, it's different things and what you want, but that's unfortunate. Don't, but this also, this is a weird thing about football and our, not football, uh, sports. You want the new roster for, uh, I guess a number of reasons, but at some point, is it not more fun just to go back and play the one that had the features you liked? I mean, that's, that's been Andrew's answer. Get a PSP or a PS3 and just find whatever NCAA game you could get. Um, it's it's weird because I find our I find myself doing it too. It's like oh I wish this series did this. Well, it used to. Okay, well then go back and play the original one. I fall trapped to it as well. But yeah, 
Um, it's kind of hard though if you're a fan of the series and you want to see it moving forward. And then yeah. if you do do it, go and buy the older copies are they're typically way more than what you would want to pay for them. That's true. And you also have that thing of where like you find that you love certain new quality of life features. It's like oh well the game feels a lot better and playing the like, you know snapping a touchdown and throwing it all feels way better. But the fact that I can't you know I'm I'm throwing BS out here so just follow me. Like it'd be like if they were like suddenly you can't you can't play an audible in mid game so it's like oh well it feels better to throw but now I can't play an audible which is one of the things I liked doing in this it's the reality of of game moving forward and a development team trying to focus test what they think needs to be the next big feature which normally means that something else goes out like shooter games I remember the the PS3 era was so weird uh, 360 as well when shooter games were really into specifically on the EA side. Uh, destructible stuff. So, like, there was this thing where it's like, I'm sure there's someone out there that loves that the original Battlefield games, and I loved Medal of Honor, um, the reboot that they did in PS3, where it's like you could just find a building and shoot the building to pieces. That doesn't exist anymore. That's not what shooter games aim to do. I don't know the last time I saw a shooter game where you could just destroy everything. But that's where we are. Yeah. Let's uh, see. I get a note off uh, Discord. Yeah, go ahead. Too. Uh, Blake, <clears throat> he says, there's not really any games I regret purchasing. Most games I know I'll either love or I bought on sale. There are quite a few games like Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2 that I played for an hour and realized that it just wasn't for me. But that's the game when you buy games on sale that you're unsure of it, you'll enjoy anyways. Yeah. So I think we've all had that, like where we buy a game and it's like, yeah, this is a good game. Or it's an okay game, but it's just not for me. Uh, Jehudi MD has one on here. He says, hmm, looking down my purchase list, I see Final Fantasy Type-0 HD and Thumper. Final Fantasy was a huge disappointment as the series has more or less consistently delivered in the past, but this one lacked the Final Fantasy-ness, so to speak. And Thumper just plain sucked. I guess it wasn't for me, and the whole way they handled the music gameplay elements was bad, in my opinion. And that was glaring from the very beginning. Um, Final Fantasy Type-0 was a weird one. I was really excited for it as a PSP game, when, which is what it originally was, and I think that your expectations are set really differently there, and it was a Japanese-only release that we never got. And then years and years and years and years went by, and then suddenly it comes out. And I don't know if you remember, Final Fantasy was in a super weird spot in the PS3 days where they were hinging everything on 13. So it's like we announced 13. We also announced 13 verses for the PS3 as an exclusive, and they're all going to be part of the... Oh, what did they call it? The crystal... Uh, I can't re- <laughs> uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but there was like a universe of the 13 games it was all going to be part of. And I don't know if you remember, there was supposed to be a, a game, I think it was a PSP game for a long time, and then it did finally come as Type-O, but it was called Final Fantasy 13, uh, 13 Versus Agito, or Agito 13 Versus. It's, it was a like working name. And it's the same problem that ended up happening with Versus 13, where it didn't come until way later, and it was way different by the time we got it. But that's just kind of what ended up happening, and then it came way later over here. And I I feel like so many people, including me to a degree, but I actually had hope for the game, bought that because we wanted to play episode uh, Disgaea from, or Disgaea, whatever it's called, from Final Fantasy 15, and that's about the most. I played about... 10 hours of typo and it just didn't hit me. It was a very different type of game. It had like, there was a part where it was like almost tower defense strategy, but it wasn't the whole game. It was weird. 
Um, another one I like on here is from True. He says, I got Godfall about a month back on sales for about half price. Wanted to play a hack and slash game after being burnt out at the end of season, uh, end, of, end season of Destiny. I saw the reviews were not good, but I looked at the community and they said it was better after the updates. Can 100% say no? Do not buy this game. It's still really not good. Shallow combat, clunky menus, uninteresting story, the lot. If this was on Steam, I would have gotten a refund at least since I played it for less than two hours. I will say this. I do agree that the game is not what it should have been. I think that two hours, more than two hours was needed for you to really get a feel for all the combat. I don't blame you. Do your own thing. And the story also does a really bad job of setting itself up. It gets a little bit better as you keep playing, little bit being the key word, uh, but I would definitely push back myself on specifically combat. I think combat and once you start getting into the different suits that you can get, uh, change a lot, and I enjoy the game at least enough to say, again, if it came out at $40 and you bought it on sale for 20 or so, it'd be reasonable, um, but to each their own. You know what's funny is, the game's often related to Crackdown in terms of everybody bought Crackdown for the Halo 3 beta. Everybody bought Type-O for the Final Fantasy 15 demo. Oh, yeah, that's true. Going back to Type-O? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually forgot about Crackdown having the Halo 3 beta. Yep. I really forgot about that. Yeah, different times. There's always something. <clears throat> Ooh, that's something that, always... That's marketing mastery. You know what I mean? Listen, we're unsure of how well this game's going to do, but... <laughs> if we slap another game people really want on it, maybe we can get it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, there's another game that came with a demo, and I mean, this may even be old, this may be PS2, I'm trying to think. There was something I remember playing in my life that I was as equally excited, maybe even more excited for the demo of the other game. I wish I could remember what it was. You know what, you just, you just awakened something in me as well that Metal Gear Solid. Something came with a Metal Gear Solid demo, or Metal Gear Solid came with a something else demo, and I can't think what it is. I think you're right the first time. I think it's something came with a Metal Gear Solid demo. Oh, um, it's been so long. It's weird, but th yeah, that's a, I guess that's an age-old marketing tactic, uh, which I'm sure you probably see that in movies and stuff, too. You know, slap another movie in here that someone might want to buy, <laughs> when, at least when it's a straight-to-DVD thing. I can't think of what it is. Somebody will know. Speaking of straight to DVD, is there an equivalent to that in gaming? Like straight, is it straight to digital? Is that? But but I feel like that's kind of weird because straight to digital under five dollars. Maybe because you think of like straight to DVD is like normally bad sequels where it's like they're just trying to make some kind of money off of the thing, but it's not nearly as well a produced movie. Sometimes that chooses to be different. There's some good straight to DVD movies or solid ones at least, but. Do games have that? Because I feel like straight to digital is indie, and there's plenty of great indie games. Yeah, but how many straight to digital games are there that are under five dollars that are good? I don't know. I really don't know. I'll say my name is Mayo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not good at all. Uh, Liam and me are gonna jump you one time. Oh, go ahead, go for it. Uh, I'm gonna go grab some more off of Twitter here. These are pretty interesting. Oh, this one's a good one. Uh, Kevin Bacon Bits, one of our patrons, he says over on Twitter, 2011's Brink, which was that Bethesda game. Yeah, that was uh, one of the first answers we got. Yeah, thought it was going to be a fun game with a good story and was sorely mistaken. You know, I also bought into the hype of Brink. And I will say the one thing Brink marketed on that I do think it got right, it just wasn't enough to carry the rest of the game, was, do you remember Smart? 
smooth movement across random terrain. That was its big marketing spiel. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, if you look for it, it was set up to where, at the time, games weren't known for having, like, I guess, kinetic movement systems, kind of like you'd expect from, like, Warframe when you run wall run and whatnot, whenever they did their stuff. But it was set up to where, like, you would look up somewhere and you'd hit a button and the game would intuitively know that you were trying to go up there. And so it would animate and move your character up this little thing. It kind of makes me think of games like Dishonored and stuff like that, where you kind of, like, sneak, you know, you kind of use the little feature to turn into, like, dust or whatever and, like, sleuth over stuff. It's not dust, but... um the blink system, I guess, is kind of makes me think of that, where you just kind of do what you want by aiming around and hitting. But that was its big marketing push. And it did feel good on consoles. But you know the craziest part about Brink Story is? When Brink hit, it almost immediately became like a $20 game. Then a ton of people traded it in. What, there's another game that came out around the same time as Brink. What was it? They were, they were very similar. I don't know. Um, oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, and I mean, almost the same type of game. Yeah. And was it EA made? Maybe? I think so. What yeah, that's, that's going to get me. But I remember the craziest thing about Blink is I worked at GameStop, Brink, rather. I worked at GameStop at the time. And about six to eight months, maybe even a full year after everybody started trading that game in, that game had a renaissance. I couldn't. I could not go a day without having at least five people coming in. To be like, hey, do y'all have Brink? And it got to the point where our entire huge stock of Brink pre-owned completely disappeared. And that game was almost impossible to find. I don't know if that carried through very long. I just remember how weird it was that a game that was basically a failure by most people, uh, by most people's thing, just came back super strong. Are you trying to look and see if you can find the game that was similar? Yeah. It had like an orange aesthetic instead it of that did. blue. And it, it's going to kill me. I'm sure someone out there knows exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, it's because it, it's very similar. And it's game that came out around the same time as Brink. It might have been a little bit after Brink, but it was definitely that same kind of idea. Um, 50 games like Brink for PC Windows. I don't know why you would want that. <laughs> These lists are so weird when you click on them. It's like, why would that even be something you'd want? I am curious as to what it is, though. The question, I guess, at this point is, did the game release on PC? You might be able to find it in this list. But while we wait to see how that pans out, I'm going to go grab another one. I just thought that one was interesting. Uh, It's been a long time since I've heard someone bring up Brink. But I'll tell you, marketing did its job. Because the fact that I still remember not only smart movement, but what smart stood for, smooth movement across random terrain, they, uh, they drilled into my head fairly well. Uh, Shave Dog 247, another one of our patrons, he says, I would call it my wife's regret. She bought me Destiny 1 and I sank 5,000 hours into it. I don't think she was pleased about that. Yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> we, Me and my wife joke that there's another girl named Destiny in our lives, and that's... That's been a while, though, you know? Yeah, it has been. But that was true for a really long time. Uh, Mark Schutz, another one of our patrons, thank you guys, he says, unpopular answer, the last of us just Ooh. not my thing in the end i don't mind stealth but when the game forces it on you by actively making a section harder if you choose a different approach that just sucks i bought the game let me play it how i want to uh, that's that's interesting i think that that's probably another thing of marketing to a degree right because i would argue that the last of us is is really stealth heavy because of the nature of scarce ammo and scarce 
resources in general. So you tend to want to either take everyone out by killing them without them seeing you so that you don't have to waste ammo on scattered shots from you being frantic. But I'd say that there's also a strong thing of the game kind of being like, hey, if you can get through the section without killing anybody, you can save resources. But arguably... I remember when I went into The Last of Us, I didn't expect it to be as focused on stealth as it was because prior to that, you're used to Naughty Dog and Uncharted, which throws caution to the wind and you can just shoot all day long. Right. So I think that's fair. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the later point, I see a lot of people say, like, I bought the game, let me choose how to play it. I think some games can pull that off, and I think that's what works on games like Dishonored. Um, you get punished and rewarded in different ways, right? Did Arguably speaking, stealth is always easier. You're always going to be punished to some degree by being seen by everyone. It's just what are you going to what are you doing around that? But I think games like Dishonored that kind of add that freedom of choice into how you choose to do things is exactly the answer to that. It's just I don't think every game can do that, right? Because some games are inherently built around well, what do you do? You ha- you shoot people. Well, how do you shoot people? Ammo. Well, how common do you get ammo? Well, ammo is pretty scarce. Well, Bull- then- Bulletstorm. No, not Bulletstorm. That's what I'm thinking of. Bulletstorm is not what I'm thinking of. Bulletstorm was actually uh, that's people can fly. They're the Outriders developer. Yeah. Um, Bulletstorm is very Gears of War esque in design and look, partially because it was a um, just like Outriders. It was a, yeah, actually yes. Uh, it was an uh, Unreal Engine three game, which if y'all if if you remember that time in the industry, every game on Unreal Engine three, unless they just did massive amounts of work like they did for uh, Alice Madness Returns, they spent so much of development trying to make their characters not look like Unreal characters because of how bad that engine was. Like, oh, if you make this game, it's gonna look like it. Unreal Tournament three looked like Gears of War. <laughs> it just and I love it, but that's what it looked like. Batman Arkham series looked like Gears of War characters. It's just big, too bulky people. And maybe that was also the the aesthetic of the time because I feel like the PS3 era, every goon that you had to fight and every like hero was just massive. Like what was up with having these like Batista style, like, you know, Dave Batista huge massive guns. Yeah. We don't see that so much anymore. Sorry to interrupt you originally, but well, you're fine. I, now I can't. It, it's killing me that I can't think of what the actual game was. But I'm glad you found what you thought it was. <laughs> yeah, that's what. That's, oh, you, you found your answer. Yeah. I didn't find mine, and that's going to kill me because I really want to know what it was. It's a super. It's like a niche game because it didn't do well, and it may not have been EA. If you know the answer, please enlighten me, remind me, because I just <laughs> that's what we are doing. Um, but yeah, Mark, I think that's, uh, I mean, I feel, and I know a lot of people who bought The Last of Us and it wasn't what they were anticipating. Um, though, what's also cool about The Last of Us 2 is I think stealth is far more viable uh, than it was in The Last of Us 1, even though I think The Last of Us 1 pushed you into stealth often. Uh, but when you go balls to the wall, it's a lot more fun in The Last of Us Part 2. I imagine even more so at 60 frames per second, which we'll get into when we get into the news. But... I'm going to say, what do you think? Two more and call it quits? Yeah, we'll do two more. Okay, you want to grab one off of Discord? Sure. Um, you didn't get Liam's quick one, did you? I didn't. Okay, yeah. Uh, Liam says, didn't buy them, but wasted bandwidth downloading Destiny or Black Forest <laughs> Online, or Black Desert Online. Uh, both were garbage. 
I love how quick that is. Yeah, I did. That's what I was like. I was like, I don't. I didn't hear him say that. Okay, I'm going to do a super short one because it was just just answered. Jeff Schrock over on Facebook says, No Man's Sky when it first came out. Ha ha, we all know the answer to that one. I think, Plenty yeah. of people did not like that game at, at launch. Uh, I'm going to grab one more. Awesome Dave has one over here. He says, uh, I feel like mine would attract some ire on Twitter if I posted this there, but I would say Breath of the Wild. I tried really hard to get into it, but I never could. I put in about 15 hours, and it just didn't click. I thought maybe open world games weren't my thing except for Skyrim. Fast forward to a couple of months ago when I started Horizon Zero Dawn. Interestingly enough, Awesome Dave came out at the same time as Breath of the Wild. And he says, I can't get enough of the game. I played it for seven hours one night. Um, I, here's the thing. You're right. You would get ire. I get ire constantly, and I understand it. Breath of the Wild is the same. I can look at it and understand why people like it, but I also think it's overrated as all get out. It is what it is. I'm sure there are games that I myself overhype and therefore make overrated in my own mind uh, for many people. But yeah, Breath of the Wild ain't it. I played for roughly the same amount. I'd say 15 to 20 hours. Got to where I was supposed to go do the third Sacred Beast and just stopped because I was so bored and it never clicked. And I thought the game was so barren and empty and the story was told in the weirdest way. I didn't think it was really a good story the way it was being told. And it just didn't click with me. And I think part of that is also that I love dungeons in the Zelda games. So for me, this game not having them and instead of just leaning on these multiple hundreds of little shrines that all had similar puzzles once you started, you know, there's about 20 variations of puzzles and they're just the same puzzle over and over again. And that normally doesn't bother me, but I'm not, I don't know. It's, I don't think of Zelda as a primarily puzzle game and that's almost what that was. Yeah. And it just didn't click with me. I understand why people like it, but I think it's an 8 out of 10 at most. <laughs> and that's just where I am. You get the ire. I feel you, awesome Dave. I feel you. And it is what it is. We live another world. Uh, and Breath of the Wild is also one of my answers. I mean, Saul, what's one of yours? Man, for me, I probably will go with No Man's Sky. When, uh, the first like week it came out. Yeah. There's a story behind this that's so funny. Saul bought a PS4. Two copies of No Man's Sky, one for him, one for his wife, and the Uncharted 4 PS4, because it was just happened to be the one that was there, Yep, for his wife, so they could play together. And I think Saul was already done with No Man's Sky the night that we got back home and all hopped on Party Chat and started playing it. Yeah, I was not a fan. <laughs> Saul's crazy excitement and that initial load where like, you see all the stars coming by you, you can hear it's like, this is going to be so awesome. To be fair, we were all saying that. Yeah. And then it was like... Wait, what? <laughs> the funniest thing about that is I think of all the people that were excited to get it in our friends group at that time, I played the most of anyone. <laughs> and I think I, so, yeah. I played the game for about 25 hours, maybe, at launch. Uh, that's funny. It is what it is. That's really funny. Breath of the Wild is definitely an answer. Um, I'm trying to think of one going a little further back because I am pretty... I, I'm, I pay attention to games and I really look at what I think I'm going to like and otherwise I'll buy it on such cheap sale that there's no way I could be mad. Like I didn't love Fallout 76, but I can't regret buying a game I got for $5. So it's kind of just like I don't regret that. I, it was, I was curious enough that spending $5 to know what the game actually was was, was worth it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think these days it's a lot different. But there are time periods, you know, when you think back to when you didn't have a lot of money and you're like, I'm going to buy this game. And this is the only game I have money for, and it better hold up. 
Uh, Breath of the Wild is is clearly not that. That was more of just like I wanted something for the Switch, and you know what my regret is? Oh no, what is this? buying a Switch? You always gotta be so mean to the Switch. I'm not even being mean to it. I just don't care, and I've tried. I've tried to the point that I literally, I guess, you know what I regret buying because I could probably get it cheaper by now. Huh. I bet I regret buying Monster Hunter's Monster Hunter Rise because I bought it a month ago. And I've still not played it. Now you know how I feel about Division 2. Actually, yeah, the Division 2's... There's all these layers. I didn't pay money for the Division 2, but I spent reward points on my credit card that I could have put towards anything. Yeah. And the Division 2, which is not good. (laughs) Ah, Andrew, quick. What's the game that you've bought that you regretted? Doesn't matter what it is. Why? What did you regret? Tell me. I'll, I'll let the world know. It'll be in podcast history for eternity. So it better be a good one. It wasn't Final Fantasy VII, the one with the video. Oh, that. 15? 15 was stupid to you? Yeah, <laughs> it was 15. He said the car. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he, did, he regretted 15, and I think that's actually probably an answer for a, a decent bit of people. <laughs> oh, okay, there we are. We're going to move on to the news, but before we do, we want to remind you that this show is brought to you by us and by you. If you want to become a patron, you can give as little as a dollar per month to support us directly. Helps us keep all this stuff up, keep the show running, not have to dig into our own pockets, which is awesome. We appreciate all of you for doing so. You get early access to certain things, like the weekly movie podcast I do with Chris Midweek Matinee. We are currently doing The Road to Fast 9, where we're going to be covering every Fast and Furious movie in order up to Fast 9 and then do Fast 9 once it releases so if you want to hop in on that go over and check that out uh, and you get that early access as well the early access right now for tokyo drift is up if you want to go check that out like i said just a dollar away thank you all so much and it will hit free feeds everything we do eventually hits free feeds so thank you all so much we're going to move on with the show but don't forget you can get shouted out too at the end of the episode so if you want to hear your name from me because I'm always the one who does it, then you can do that. Um, the news this week is interesting. There's plenty of stuff going on, but I think a lot of it's uh, kind of looking more towards the future. But the first thing, of course, is a reminder, Days of Play is currently ongoing. The event that they're going with the community is going right now. And the sales part of the event will be kicking off May 26th. Players will be able to grab Death Stranding, Ghost of Tsushima, Miles Morales, Sackboy, A Big Adventure, Demon Souls, and more first-party titles for a discount both physically and digitally, so it's not just digital, as well as deals on PS Plus and PS Now subscriptions uh i'm really curious to see how deep the discounting is going to be on ps5 games like yeah. is demon souls is going to be like five bucks off or is it going to be like 10 bucks off or will they go deep and actually give you 20 bucks off of it and we, that's still 50 dollars. yeah we just talked about that too of um like last week i think of like well you know do we when do we see prices on discounts for stuff like that yeah like, and now we know that there are people well the PS5 game because the other one's Godfall, but Godfall's been on sale, <laughs> so yeah. it's not really an announcement to throw it out here. Uh, it is cool though seeing other ones, right? Because this is the first uh, days of play for um, Ghost of Tsushima, for Miles Morales, for Sackboy, for plenty of other games that are on this list. So um, it's pretty cool, and I, I like seeing that because this is the kind of thing that would get somebody to try a game like Sackboy, a big adventure, who may not have done it because it's like, ah, do I want to pay sixty dollars for a game I'm unsure of? 
I imagine Sackboy will be $40. Be crazy if it's $30. That'd be really cool. It's a great game. You should hop on it if you haven't. Uh, next thing up on the list, we talked about earlier, Outriders. Square Enix recently claimed that Outriders has been a success and is on track to become a major franchise for the company, posting 3.5 million unique players, as they call them, averaging a playtime of over 30 hours and incredibly high engagement for the co-op feature, which I'm sure is what they were hoping for. Uh, first and foremost... Happy to the team, you know, happy for the team over at People Can Fly. Um, but I think there's a secondary side of this that's kind of interesting. We were talking about it in the Discord the other day uh, with Rude Days 93 and Josh and some other people uh, about what Game Pass does for how you measure success in the gaming industry. Yeah. Because for a long time, the idea of a game like Outriders, which if you look at its primary, well, I shouldn't say primary, if you look at one side of its market, right, of or of its way of being sold it's a traditional release it can be bought and playstation that is the only option you can buy the game and play it um but on the xbox side of things it's day one game pass and that means that you can't look at sales as the only indicator of success yes on part of the market playstation side that is your only indicator of success but as a multi-platform release you have to look at this and go Sales no longer count. We know we made this amount of money because of Game Pass. They paid us this up front, and this is what we have. I don't know how long it stays on Game Pass. I don't know if it's an evergreen title or if it's only there for three months and then moves on. Yeah, These are all questions that, who knows, we'll see how long it ends up staying around. Um, but for them to look at this, I think it's very telling the way they choose to give the information. It's not 3.5 million sales. It's 3.5 million unique players. And then when you kind of keep going through that, they're looking more at that point too. One of the talks that we had in the discord was playtime, you know, new players and playtime kind of have to account for this to a degree. Right. So the fact that they're looking at most of the players who played it play an average of 30 hours or more, then yeah, this all makes sense as to how this game is going to be looked at when game pass is such a immediate function of it. But I also think this speaks to something I was talking about in that conversation the other day where game pass in my opinion, the sweet spot of it is to not actually overly lean AAA games into it where budgets are so high that you want to have a little bit more of a set in stone. Like, how do we measure the success? If you look at AA games, uh, the game I used for reference was The Outer Worlds. The first Outer Worlds game was a success by Private Division, the publisher, and they say they think it's going to go on to be a big franchise. They don't own it. They only own the publishing rights for the first game. Microsoft, of course, owns Obsidian, who owned the IP. Right. In my opinion, what you do now that that is a Microsoft IP, you do not try and pump that game up to be a AAA game. No. You leave that game a double-A game. You give it a modest budget, a team of the appropriate size to work on it. I think the team for Outer Worlds 1 was like 80 people. So maybe at most bump it up to 100 so that you can make sure the next-gen features are going to work. Uh, and then make a, a modest budget, 100-hour game, I mean a 100-employee uh, game. Make it not crazy long. Don't have it be a, you know... 300 hours space epic leave it the same length and style of what people loved about the first one and let it be made that way and then it's market for success is so much easier to hit on something like game pass where 
people can jump in, play it, and have a good time, but expectations aren't as skyrocketed and high if you go out of your way to be like, hey, this is a small game. Like, you know, this sounds weird. I'm sure people are out there looking at Avowed and they want Avowed to be the next Skyrim, a triple A you know, fantasy RPG. Right. I am 100% okay if Avowed is basically the double A, uh, you know, high fantasy equivalent to what they did with the Outer Worlds. I don't care. The Outer Worlds looks fine, runs fine, plays fine. Is it? Is it going to set the world on fire with the way it looks? No. Is it the most stable game in the world? Nah, not really, but... If it runs at a mostly solid, hopefully with this console generation, 60 frames per second, but if it runs at a solid frame rate and it does what it's supposed to do and it looks decent doing it, I'm fine if Avowed is a you know, $60 million game from a team of 60 people. But I'm sure that there are people that don't think that. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that Game Pass could be a huge boon for letting manufacturer, console manufacturers get back into this, tr- this double-A game. Because they don't anymore. Right. Because I get it. Why would you? Your your job is to show off what your system can do. But that's if you're following the normal market like Sony does. Microsoft has no reason to do that. You don't have to have an Xbox to play their game. They just want you to be on their service. The best way to get their service is to get more games out there that are easier to return investment on. Bam. You're not wrong. And I'm curious. That's probably going to be somewhat related to the community's take. Because, But we'll, we'll see. We'll keep going through. I just think that it's an interesting point because... I think a lot of people, including me to a degree, you want to cling to the old business model because, per, first of all, we a lot of us are primarily PlayStation gamers, and that's the only model available to us. Yeah. Um, in this mar- in in the market that we're currently in, at least. But also, I like Chad had mentioned in the Discord. Even if the game's on Game Pass, he'd probably just buy it because he wants to support the developers, and that's very much where I'm at. But it's still interesting to see what you can do with a market where everybody's coming in and they're saying, at least right now, our game can be completely covered budget-wise by what Microsoft pays us to be on Game Pass. And now part of the reason I say this and use uh, the Outer Worlds and Avowed as examples is because that doesn't last forever. Microsoft doesn't cover full development cost of things that it doesn't own for the long run. Instead... Microsoft looks inward and says, our teams are going to make games that we can completely cover development costs and just say, you know, this many subscribers covers this game completely. We're just going to let it go. And as long as we don't see a drop in subscribers, as long as we maintain or we see a certain percentage of growth, this game is successful. Yeah, they probably do do that. Yeah. I would I would say that they allow, they allow or a lot, not allow, but they allow subscriber numbers to stuff like that. And they're like, okay, we have this many subscribers now. We can go ahead and fund this size of a project with those numbers. Um, and we have trends that show that they're not going to go downward or anything like that. So, well, and that's a good thing, right? You're working within the budget of what you know you have there, but that's not what's happening right now, right? Yeah. Because Microsoft is just literally throwing money. But if you're not able to see that the end goal for Microsoft is to get to where pretty much every game hitting Game Pass is something that they own so that there's zero licensing cost, it's pure development cost, and here's the service. We look at the service, we go, this is how much we have. Let's split what we're making here where we still have a profit on this side. We use this as funds, and these funds can fund these 20 games. And then depending on what we see and depending on how subscribers grow next time, we determine what gets sequels and to what scale the sequels are. Yep. I can see it. Now, here's a question for you, Saul. Do you see, and I don't know, because Google's also a huge company, and this is why I even bring this up. Do you see a chance out there that if – this doesn't become profitable ever for Microsoft. 
that even though they do have this endless well of cash, basically, do you ever see them just eventually killing Game Pass if it just can't become profitable? No, they built their brand around it too much now. They can't. That's like they can't kill Xbox because they built their brand around Game Pass and Xbox together. That it would be you'd have to implement a brand new service and have that ongoing for years. So I guess technically down the line, like twenty years from now, maybe after something else replaces it. I could see, I, I follow you on Game Pass being so tied into Xbox's branding that you can't kill Game Pass without killing Xbox. I agree with that for the most part. Uh, I mean, I still think there's room where they could try it and it may even work. But I agree that the further it goes on and the more they go on to where Xbox and Game Pass are just synonymous, it's hard to separate them. Yeah. But I think that there's an argument that Microsoft could kill off Xbox and be fine because Microsoft is so much more than just Xbox. Well, you're not wrong, but I'm talking about specifically their gaming version. Sure, yeah. yeah like, in, like in gaming, you're you're right. Yeah. The only way to get rid of it is to if you, unless they just leave Xbox around as like the the service of uh, well, you can use it to interact with your games and yeah. this thing. You know, it's because just, now it's just a Microsoft level feature that yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, because eventually I think we'll see the consoles go away, like we said you know, mm-hmm. times before. But. I think Games Pass will be the key that stays around, and I think Xbox will be the branding that Games Pass is under. Yeah, and the thought process I even had behind that, right, is you look at Google, and even, I mean, Google's just my go-to example because there's so many times where Google does something that's awesome, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is super cool, and then Google kills it because the reality is that Google doing it to begin with is just trying to get people to buy in. Normally with Google, it's because they're also trying to get your information in some way, whatever they can do to entice you to do something so they can be like, ah, give us your precious information. Yeah. Um, but Google kills stuff quickly, and they always have. And Microsoft has in the past before. This is There's plenty of examples across the industry as a whole of someone doing something that seems too good to be true, and then it has to end eventually because they're only doing it as a temporary means to put themselves in quick, immediate debt, but at least build something that can hopefully make that money in the long term. Great example being the PS3 era, Sony. Sony was green lighting and spending so much money on games and systems to the point that the PS3 was actively killing the company because of how much it cost to sell a PlayStation 3. They took a loss. But eventually, all those games and goodwill moves got them to where they could make the PS4 and turn all that around. And there you right. go. The PS4 is not like the PS3. You didn't have free online. You didn't have big budget, risky, weird games. And I mean, yeah, you had big budget, risky games, but they weren't weird games like you saw across PS3 because Sony was in a different place. So whether Microsoft will or won't, Continues to be an interesting thing for me. But Games Pass is awesome for now. I mean, I get it. It's a great thing. It's just, how long does it really last? Um, Next thing up on the list, though, Biomutant hits Tuesday. Excuse me. And THQ have confirmed a few things for PS5 users looking at the game. Firstly, it's been confirmed that due to some technical issue, when running on PS5, the game will play at a resolution of 1080p that will then be upscaled to 4K, though users can expect the game to run at 60 frames per second on the console with that issue. It's unclear if the issue can or will be patched. Remember, the Biomutant team is about 20 people. It's very small. Uh, So whether or not it will be patched... uh, Remains to be seen, but they've announced that there is a PS5 Series X native release in the works to be released, quote, sometime in the near, near-ish near future. Um, so that will likely allow the game to run more appropriately for the hardware. But remember, small games, small teams are not a small game, I guess, in a sense it is, but small team. They only have so much bandwidth. Is it unfortunate? Yeah, I know people are buying a PS4 and being like, I don't want to play a 1080p game, but it's the reality. It's unfortunate. Uh, we talked about No Man's Sky earlier, but No Man's Sky 
Jesus, Andrew. Uh, we'll figure it out. Anyway, <laughs> No Man's Sky saw what is likely the crossover event many never knew they wanted, with Mass Effect's iconic SSV Normandy SR1 ship appearing in the game. It was discovered by players as part of No Man's Sky's latest expedition, which I think is super cool. They didn't come out and announce that it was in the game. They just waited for people to play yeah, and find cool. it. Uh, those who complete the expedition will be able to add the Normandy to their frigate fleet. You will only have until May 31st to complete the expedition, so hop on. If you want a chance to set up shop in a gaming icon, because you got to remember your frigates like your base and part of your fleet around. That's cool. Imagine being able to be on the planet, look up, call your frigate in, and then you just see the Normandy chilling. It is pretty iconic. Yeah, it is. That's cool, man. Uh, the Last of Us 2 finally gets its PS5 treatment with a patch releasing, allowing the game to run at 60 frames per second when being played on PS5. Much like Ghost and Days Gone, this is not a remastered release or patch, so the game's resolution and textures are all the same as the PS4 version, but you can now experience the game at a virtually locked 60 frames per second that many are becoming used to as part of the PS5 experience. This is cool. This is uh, adding on to my reason to go ahead and play through all of it. Here's the thing. <clears throat> now that this is done, what's the, I can't think of another PS4 exclusive that's recent enough that they would bother going back and adding 60 frames per second for, like support for. Infamous, was that 60 frames? <clears throat> uh, it was 60 frames per second on, I'm pretty sure at least, on PS4 Pro whenever they, announced, they upgraded it for there. Bloodborne? But that's what I mean, like, recent enough. Because the way they go back and do these is they have to go back into the older game kit, like, you know, the dev kits that they use, or the really the coding that's within it, and they have to change that and then re-push it out. Well, some of the games are built on such old codecs, you know, that you're looking at that, and it'd be a lot harder to go in and do it. Now, it doesn't mean it would be not worth it. That's why I say we've gotten it for all the ones that are recent enough that PS5 was in the mindset already, like... Days Gone, Ghost, God of War. You have Ratchet to think about Clank. it too. For like the last three years, they <clears throat> Sony first party exclusives haven't had a ton. You just named them all. No, it's what I mean. Yeah, yeah it's been a lot they've already done it all. So these are that's that, so th- I, there ain't much left. This is probably the last game that we're going to see this treatment for. Sadly, as much as I would love to see Bloodborne actually get this treatment, I think at this point, with this, with the amount of work that would have to go into going in and, and unlocking, we'll more Bloodborne, likely just see a remake of it. They'll probably just remaster or remake it. Yeah. I want to see a remake of it. That'd be dope. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Blue Demon Point. Souls? Yeah. <laughs> Demon Souls style is what I meant, but yeah. Yeah, I like Demon Souls. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be interesting. I know Blue Point's doing it. That's why they did Demon Souls. What do you actually think Blue Point's working on next? Bloodborne. Like, you genuinely think so? Probably Metal Gear Solid. I could see that. I think that that's the most mass market appeal version, but how sick would it be if they were working on Castlevania? Bloodborne. I don't, I'd, I'd, I'd take Bloodborne over Castlevania. I know you would. <laughs> There's only so much you could do at Castlevania. Well, and you think about, well, hold on, what was the other game? Because you remember their little cryptic thing they put out that was like teasing a bunch of games. It was Bloodborne. Um, it was Bloodborne, Castlevania, Metal Gear Solid. Um, was Siphon Filter mentioned? Maybe Siphon Filter and then Legend of Dragoon. Legend of Dragoon. That was the other one, yeah. Dude, Legend of Dragoon remake would be crazy. There might be more. Let me go check. It's been so long since I've seen it, but if you remember, they had a tweet where they kind of put out... It was teased before anybody even knew that Demon's Souls was what was coming. It was just kind of a big, open-ended references. Now, the big question there is, were they just hiding the real announcement in a mixture of other things, which is very likely the case, or was this all teases for, for projects they have in various stages? Remains to be seen. 
Uh, while Saul's looking that up, uh, the age-old question since Microsoft acquired Bethesda might have been answered by some industry insiders. Starfield, according to a number of people who have spoken to those connected with the, the game, will be exclusive to Xbox and PC and will indeed be skipping PS5. Now, this is in contrast, not really in contrast, but this is to a degree in contrast with what we kind of saw a couple of insiders saying at some point that Sony was discussing with Bethesda Starfield to be a PS5 timed exclusive. Um, so it looks like we now, if this is indeed true, we now know the answer that Sony never did get past the negotiating phase before uh, Microsoft ended up buying them. And as much as, of course, I want to play Starfield on PS5, assuming that it looks good. I hope it does. Um, but as, assuming that um, this isn't happening this way, I want to play it on PS5. But this is probably the right move for Xbox if they really want to do something. I mean, why spend that much money on a customer and not do this? And I know that kind of stands in contrast to the other thing I said, which I do agree with. From a sheer business sense, for me, looking at someone who would want to be in the clear as quickly as I possibly could, I would want to release Starfield on PS5 just because it's already been announced, people anticipated it, and it's a it's probably going to sell a lot like Skyrim and Fallout 4. And if it does, you're just making your investment back quicker, and then the next game they do can be fully exclusive. But Microsoft's playing Cutthroat with this uh, Game Pass thing, and if you're playing Cutthroat, you make these games exclusive. <laughs> yeah, you know, especially after you spend that much money, like you like you mentioned. You know, was it ten billion? Well, right? du- double down, right? Yeah. It was seven billion, if seven I remember billion. correctly. Uh, you double down. I mean, that's that's what you do. I mean, at this point, if you're Microsoft, right, and you have that kind of capital, you double down. If you're any other company and you make this investment, you probably go ahead and release everything multi-platform like, because you don't have the money Microsoft has. Um, but and I would even argue that Microsoft should do that so they can actually look at games at, at Xbox and say Xbox is now profitable or Game Pass is now profitable because we can use this oh this this acquisition was to benefit Game Pass but we can release this and all the sales go towards making up for this initial investment which gets Game Pass to profitability quicker but tech but that's only if you do if you look at the numbers that way so interesting but as always oh there's another part of this if you've been seeing any rumors that the game is soon and i've seen a lot of those lately uh the game is apparently nowhere near being complete uh so don't follow those don't follow any of this realistically just keep your hopes low and your expectations low uh as always this is leaked information it can be true or false to a varying degree so wait for an official announcement you know uh why i'm, I'm glad that microsoft's playing cutthroat with games pass was that? Because I'm hoping that it will eventually pressure Sony into allowing it on their platforms. I can see that. Um, that would be. But, a, but people I, are like, I don't. I wouldn't want that. That's a major win, and you have no clue. It is. But the only thing is the ramifications of what it means for Sony's business. Because how? What does that doesn't? That doesn't matter. As long as they keep making well, their first-party games like they do. Well, but and their that, consoles. That, but that, that's what I mean. To some degree, if it, it's allowed on their thing. And more games are hitting there, and people are playing games on Game Pass instead of buying them through. What? And this is real. I mean, this is probably why Sony's been so hesitant on it. When people are playing a game on PS5 through Game Pass, how does it? How is it determined? How much money PlayStation gets? Like where does where does the revenue come in? No clue. Probably. Exactly, and it comes into every step of the way because Sony has to go. Well, if they're not buying it, and we're not making our share from the PS Store, 
then we're seeing a huge drop in revenue. This is very similar to like their breakdown of how they talked about, well, if people are still primarily playing on Fortnite but are spending uh, on PlayStation, but for some reason are spending money elsewhere, when do we get, you know, when do we get backup stuff for the fact that you're using our platform to benefit you? And in Microsoft's case, I wonder, because it wouldn't be just at the subscription level, because you could, Sony could try and be like, well, if someone buys a subscription on PlayStation Store, we get 30% of that. You could say that. That's fine. But what does that mean for when someone just has a, a year-long thing where they would have bought games? Where does that continue to go? What if you don't buy the subscription on PlayStation, you bought it on Xbox, so they got that percentage or whatever. Technically, if on Xbox, they'd get the full, full profit. What does that mean when you suddenly take your Xbox subscription, your Game Pass subscription, and start playing on PlayStation? Is it Maybe they would so many hours set? There, there's a lot of questions about why I don't know how this works and why Sony's probably slow because the ramifications are way bigger for them because Sony needs PlayStation. That's, that's well, Microsoft doesn't. With something like anything. this, I just flip into consumer mode. And I'm like, I don't care about all the yes, business yeah. crap. They'll handle all that that mess. I don't care about it. I don't I don't want to know or care. <laughs> That's something that would benefit everybody. So I, I care in the sense of, and this is a very broad sense, I do think, yeah, clearly it being on PlayStation is the most consumer-friendly thing. It's the, it's the best thing for the consumer uh, at that point. But this comes down to one of those things. Like we talked about, with PlayStation in general, if I want to keep gaming on a PlayStation platform, then me and my personal thing is I do think a little bit about how does Sony keep doing that? How does Sony keep making money so that they can keep making systems so that I can keep playing on their systems? Because if they don't, and I'm so tied in that ecosystem, and they go under, because, it, again, they're very different. I don't think different, any decision we've ever talked about would cause like that. that, though. I, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm... I'm I could never see games. I'll, I'll say this one. Does, we have never talked about this as a real decision. People wanting PlayStation to basically do a game pass thing of their own would kill PlayStation. There's zero way that they right. can do that because, well, they keep it and they do the thing too. Like with, they do very similar to Google, like PlayStation video and all that stuff. They, they, a PlayStation view, they come out with it. And it's a cool idea, cool concept. People use it and then it's gone. Yeah. Because they can't afford to float it. Yeah. And that's the thing. The same thing would happen here. If they actually lean heavily into game pass. And I mean, their you, own form. Like, what gotta, would you, you let's you call to, it. Let's say PS now. Let's just use that. Let's say PS now becomes an actual game pass competitor. Across the board, day and date games and everything. Sony would go under. They don't have the capital to do that. You're right. But Game Pass that... being on PlayStation, I don't know. It's, it's... Well, you got to think about this one. <clears throat> this is why I don't worry about business decisions because they wouldn't make the business decision. They wouldn't do the deal themselves if it would put them under. Yeah. You would humble. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, Sony so, would. So, so but like people they're... asking for them to do it, that's all I'm saying. Is people who want that from Sony. You want that, but you don't because the moment that Sony actually did that, you would lose Sony. So no, if you care that much, I don't think. But you're 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 ignoring what I'm saying, though. They don't, wouldn't make the decision. Yeah, they wouldn't make the decision. So that's not that's a non-issue to think about. It's fun, like think back to when you're like, hey, what if Nintendo bought Microsoft back then and they made the the 360 cube or whatever? <laughs> think yeah. back to fun thoughts. Stop going business with everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just find it all interesting. So for me, that's part of it. I mean, I mean I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let the businesses know that they're gonna—they're not gonna—they wouldn't make a decision to put them under. Yeah, and if I, they would, well, they probably deserve to go under to begin with. <laughs> yeah, if they'd make that decision, well, sometimes those decisions can be—it's uh, like Xbox is doing right now. If you looked at Xbox as its own brand, the decision to do Game Pass would put a company under if Xbox did if not have Microsoft's backing. Yeah, if it was any other brand. So that—that's the interesting thing, but it's also a big gamble, right? Because if it ever does become profitable, suddenly Xbox made a crazy move that worked in their favor. 
Yeah. Right now, it's not in their favor because they're losing money left and right. But they don't care because you have Microsoft stupid funds. Mark my words. When Mark, when Microsoft starts to, or Xbox starts to transition towards not having a console, <clears throat> they'll do what they can to put Games Pass on PlayStation. Oh, they and, absolutely and will do everything they can, yeah. Uh, the, well, to a degree, but at the same time, if if consoles are going away, then why does it matter if it's on PlayStation? Because PlayStation as a well, console would well, also go away. Well, so suddenly, no, no, PlayStation no, no. has to be a digital so- uh, service as well. That's Well, that's what we talked about before, is that for the foreseeable 20 years, I don't foresee PlayStation going anywhere in terms of a console. I think they yeah. will always have a console. Xbox, yeah. I don't see them having a console past their next generation. Oh, you think they make another generation? I think they make one more generation if they if they do one at all with a console. If not, I guarantee you by <clears throat> this generation coming or next. So what is it? Ninth and tenth, I guess. We're on the eighth generation of consoles. I think eighth is PS4, so we're on nine right now. So nine, so ten and an eleven. One of those two gens is going to be consoles for Xbox. Yeah, we're on the ninth gen right now. Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, also. Mark my words. Looking at that, when consoles actually do go away with Sony's current business model, right? If they've done, if by that point they don't do anything to do that, they actually might go under at that point. If when there's no longer the box that controls the the work of, well, we did this work to get this box in people's homes so that they become the platform for you to benefit from. I don't think that they would do that. <clears throat> I don't think that, I think they, I think Sony and Nintendo will always have a physical console. No Maybe. matter what. Maybe. And I, but I also see to some degree, both of them having to do some kind of switch to where they have something on phones or TVs or smart TVs to a degree. But I'm also of the mindset that and a physical box will always be the better option. Because there's, you don't have to worry about internet and all this different streaming stuff. Yeah. Uh, and no matter what you do, streaming compresses. Yeah, right. If you don't want those compression artifacts and you're, and you're Sony making games that look like The Last of Us 2, you don't want compression artifacts making your game look worse if you don't have to. And that's also how you can market and go, well, look, we don't have a streaming platform that's our main thing because we don't need to because look how good The Last of Us 2 looks. You can't get that on compression, you know, from streaming. I mean, arguably. We'll see how these things all end up playing out. But I do agree that we're safe for the rest of this generation. I'm just really curious to see if Microsoft goes all in on streaming by next. And that depends on what we see throughout this gen. If we end up seeing Xbox find a way to get uh, xCloud onto smart TVs, where all you have to do is buy a Microsoft controller, game over. That's, That's super smart. If the only purchase you have to make is one small physical piece of hardware, it's kind of what Google is doing with Stadia, where it's like all you have to do is buy the controller and this little plug-in thing. But if you can skip all that completely and just go directly to LG and be like, hey, LG, can you make? Can we work with you to make a WebOS app for Xbox and then support Bluetooth for our controller? There you go. You got it. Currently, I'm not... I'm not a fan of streaming games. I've tried it on my laptop, and it works fine. It's just I've tried it on PlayStation now, and it works fine. It's just not my preferred way. What all have you tried? Have you tried um, xCloud, or did you try GeForce Now? I tried GeForce Now. Yeah. I've heard good things about GeForce Now I mean, it in works, terms of like it works well. It works fine. It's just there is always that little bit of input lag that you can never get rid of, yeah. and it's just I'd rather actually play the game. All right, let's see. The last thing up on the news, I think, yes. E3 season is just around the corner, as well as non-E3-based streams that happen alongside it. Xbox, Nintendo, Capcom, Ubisoft, Take-Two, Warner Brothers, Coke Media, Square Enix, Sega, Bandai Namco, and Xzeed Games will all be part of the traditional E3 festivities. While Konami backed out, as you may remember, uh, they originally wanted to be part of it, but they said due to timing, they're not ready. 
And Sony, of course, seemed poised to leverage their state of play again this year in lieu of attending E3. EA will be separate as well, hosting their own EA Play Live showcase much later on July 22nd. Jeff Keighley continues his split from E3 that he announced originally by spearheading his Summer Game Fest event again, which kicks off June 10th and includes partnerships with most of the companies attending E3, with PlayStation, interestingly, being a partner as well. This is going to be super weird across the board. first of all because you're splitting all these companies between two events because like ea is not part of e3 they have their own thing but ea has already said they're going to be a partner for game fest same for playstation this is weird it is it's it's i don't like this this is Is like the e3 battling out well this is this is what i was worried about when playstation will stop going to e3s is that companies are just going to start splintering out afterwards, and then E3 is going to become, A, it's going to become a very annoying to watch because you're going to have to figure out already on top of time zones when things are, but then there's going to be even more spread outness like we are seeing, yeah. more splintering. And then you have all these other companies like it's they're doing the Netflix slash you know who thing. I'll just bank my own thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah, I think people. it's exactly what happened. Yeah, like the, the, fun, the fun of E3 is just the, the – it's like the Super Bowl – you may not watch football, but I know people who don't watch football or care about football who watch the Super Bowl. It's it's about it's about just the, the festiveness of it, the, the festive- event of bringing everything together. Yeah, and now it's kind of just splintering out, and it's just it, it's going to eventually become just a month of like, oh, we get a Nintendo Direct, and we get a PlayStation, or we get a, a play, um, state of play, state of play, and then we get an Xbox thing, and then we get an EA thing, and then it's like they're all weeks apart or something. It's just not going to be fun anymore. Well, and I think the weird thing about this is for a long time, people would always say, including us, that E3 feels like gamer Christmas. It does. But here's the weird thing about that. I think everybody, if you look at it right now, everybody, if if everyone's completely cool with this without any issue, and I mean that in the sense like I'm not looking at it like this is a little odd, it means that you've always viewed it as gamer Christmas just because you get a lot of presence in the announcements. I always more viewed it actually as gamer Christmas because it's all the gamers and companies coming together in one spot to announce all this stuff. And that's why I always thought E3 was cool. It's like they're all at E3. It's all about just everyone announcing. But now you got to go and look, well, now we splintered this person off and this person off. And now Xbox doesn't want to piss off Jeff Keighley because they want to be able to show something during the Game Awards at the end of the year. But they also don't want to piss off E3 because they like being able to go to E3. So now Xbox is going to save half of its announcements for E3 and then half of its announcements for Summer Game Fest. We don't know for sure, but this is just a Yeah, this is... And, and this is the kind of weird thing going off. Instead of looking and being like what it used to be where it's like, today is Microsoft's day. Everything that Microsoft has big to announce is going to happen today. And that's fun to look forward that's to. That's so cool. And now it's like, well, Microsoft's day is today. We're going to see a couple of announcements here. And then when Microsoft's thing is again during the Game Fest, we're going to see what goes on there. It's just, it, it, it's, it's a, splintered out in a very odd way. And it's not, some people are probably excited because it means there's way more going on. There's more events and you can be completely steeped in it for probably the whole month of June. But I'm going to be honest with you. You're just elongating something that doesn't need that much time. Yeah. It's like when Sony did the trailer for Ghost of Tsushima trailer. Yeah. It's like, what is this dumb shit? Like, come on, you could do better than this. Well, and this, it's going to be like that. If you're splintering off events, there's going to be overlap. But the overlap is is depending on what event it is. Because like, you know, Microsoft may want to show something new that's EA, but EA is really going to save it all for their event. Yeah. So then, what you're seeing at Microsoft isn't even the full story, and it's just a waste of time. The good and bad here is that it, depending on how you, as an individual, like events to be held and, and game announcements to be held. 
you have two different versions coming here because I'm going to tell you right now, this is my take on it. And this is a negative for me in terms of the uh, summer game fest. It looks like by all intents, they're talking about Weezer opening it and everything. And what that screams to me is that this is going to be just like the game awards Normies. where it's way too full of other crap and it's way too slow. And they just find whatever way they can to drag this stuff out to where it's just three hours of what could have been done in 45 minutes. And the reason I say that is because I just want it to be focused on the games. I don't care about the Schick man commercial. I don't care about the band that you choose to have play in the middle. I don't even care if I like the band. It's not the spot for me. I don't want that. I, my favorite E3s were when Sony was just coming up on stage and being like, here I am to show you my face this one time because that's what we're supposed to do. Love you guys. We've been doing great at PlayStation, and here's all the games, and oh. you're not going to see me again until the end. Oh, and you can take this game and hand it off to your friend, and that's how we can trade games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that you know, E3 has sometimes had some some fluff, but not to that degree. E3's never been about. All right, in the middle of Sony, we're going to have uh, give it up for ear drummers or whatever that band is. It's ear drummers is backwards, but race some red whatever it's called. But I've never heard of. I've gotten so annoyed by game by watching the game awards because every year it's longer for for nothing to do with games. It's longer for everything that has zero to do with games. normies. And I'm and it's not even that I'm trying to be upset about it for because I'm like mad at anybody else. It's just, yeah, that's not what I want. So I, these these uh, these events and announcements being split off, I'm just going to have to wait until Summer Games Fest is over because I don't want to watch it. I called this the second Jeff Keighley announced on Twitter he's not attending E3. And I literally said, this is because he's going to go off and do his own stupid thing. And this is what it is. And I mean, he did it last year, but there wasn't an E3 last year. So it, it, it felt like it makes, took the yeah, place. But now it's just in the big old muddle of crap. Now. And you're going to have to sort through all the announcements that we're going to get. Now it's capitalism, baby. Yeah, it is. I mean, it literally is. Like it's it's that that there is like commercials after commercials after commercials, and then you get stupid sponsorships that I don't care to see. Well, it's also capitalism because it's two companies choosing. Like, hey, here's our similar products. You choose which one is more valuable. And the crazy thing is, Death. I think everybody likes Jeff Keeley so much that he'll win this. I like, I like, and this I don't mind. I have I like zero problem with Jeff Keeley. I just don't like the way he chooses to do events. Yeah, I love the guy. He's a cool, dude. But please. <laughs> Please just shorten like your pacing and your events is terrible. Please just cut out a lot of the banter and crap. And like I don't like sure it became a meme of the guy who made what's the the prison game got up there and was like freaky the Oscars and yeah the Oscars or whatever. He didn't say he did. freaky A because yeah. EA paid for that game. Well yeah I know. Actually but, that would have been the ballsiest move if we see Joseph Ferris come up there and be like you know what EA just paid for a way out but fuck them. Yeah I just for me it's just like. Eh. What yeah. was the community's take you had in mind? Uh, kind of going back to um, how do you feel about Games Pass implications on how games are measured for success? Like, you know, th- and I guess really alongside that, what it means for how you decide to budget games. Like, if you look at a game and say it's successful this much, instead of having to push that line because you want to sell this many copies, you go, oh, we just want the game to be good. We can give it a more modest budget and do what we want to. Hey, what do you want? You want to make a game that's beautiful? Let's focus on graphics here. Most of your budget can go towards graphics. You can make whatever you want to past that. You can have Death Stranding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Death Stranding is a good game. But, I mean, it's, I'll throw this out if, there's a, if, if there's a better one that you can think of, I just like, 
I like the idea of seeing how people feel about what it means because for so long, definitely people who like to throw around console wars, it's been, well, this game sold this many millions and Gears of War 5 only sold 3 million. So Uncharted 4 is 17 million means it's a better game. I mean, you know, now that's not the same. I sold that Wii Sports. Yeah, right. But now you can look at it and go, well, Sony's The Last of Us Part 3 sold 17 million and Gears of War 7. Um, Gears of War 7 sold 3. It didn't sell because it's on Game Pass, but Game Pass has 300 million subscribers. So <laughs> did, did that mean that it arguably had the potential to sell 300 million? Technically, well, let's just get wild here. There's 45 million billion people in the world, so technically they had 45 million billion opportunities to sell the game. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah. yeah, you guys could find us over on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You could find us on YouTube, of course, at Nartech Gaming and uh, the Triangle Square Podcast. You can find us across all podcast services. If you find one we're not on, let us know because we're definitely on the big ones like Spotify and all the other ones. And our Discord. It's linked in the description below. Uh, <laughs> across all of those, we have the Facebook as well. Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast is a group. you got to ask to be in it, but uh, we'll accept anybody as we do with uh, life. And not only that, but we like to thank song. you guys because you, you support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash nartech, and that's what keeps this show going. The mutual lovings. Uh, you love me, I love you. We're a happy family. <laughs> that's Barney. <laughs> I was about to go into Barney. But, I mean, that's uh, just a life. That's a good life lesson to carry along with I you. I love you. Well, yeah. But anyways, <laughs> you, we love you so much. We read your names at the end of every so- episode to show how much we appreciate you. And even if the list is 500, yeah, Brett will be sitting here for a minute because it's he'll, he'll that's a long. Them. That's a long list of names, but I'm willing to do it. He's so. willing to do it. Let's get to 500, folks. Thank you all for Thanks, episode guys. 213. We'll see you next week. Yes. Shout out to our patrons, Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarud, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos. Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Baconbits, Mark Schutz, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Josh Drago, Bailey Robertson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Jehudi MD, Rob Warpoint, Richard Schaefer, and Hammond Egger. Thank you all so much.